you've given me a big rock in the road, Steph. Um, I'm going to speak on the subject of bitterness. And it's just interesting listening to the worship as well. That song, head full of rocks, heart full of stone, heart of stone. And I'm thinking, yep, yep. Uh, we, are, we are all facing the rocks in the road. And I love that beautiful prophetic song. We have some, all the songs today were beautiful. The presence of God is so palpable right now. Even as I speak, I sense the presence of God. Want to do lots around the room this morning, and particularly on this subject. But to hear, you know, from, from your blood flows freedom. Someone who sang that, it was wonderful. Someone did. Um, well done, it was fabulous. I mean, they were all beautiful songs. But we've got to get free of the rock of bitterness. Now, let me just say something right away, right from the start that the bitter things that happen in life, like difficult things, bitter equals difficult, is not the same as the bitter and difficult things in life that happen to you settle in your heart and become bitterness. You with me? So we've all had bitter experiences of things that happen. Do you agree with me? I don't think there's anyone in this room who hasn't tasted a bitter experience, but that is not the same as saying, I am now a bitter person so we've got to really make it clear right from the start what we mean by bitterness. But I'm going for the jugular today because the Bible is utterly radical about bitterness. The Bible, as we're going to see in a moment, talks about lots of bitter experiences. You're going to have lots in your life. I'd bring you good news this morning, okay? You're going to have so many bitter experiences. That's great. But you're going to walk through every one of them with a heart that's soft before God. And you're going to have a heart of love, not a heart of stone. And you're going to ride over your bitterness, bitter experiences. And what we're not going to do is allow bitterness to descend into the murky depths of our hearts. Okay? Now, it does. It gets there, nevertheless. And that's why the Bible in Hebrews says we're going to pull out a root of bitterness because it defiles. Somehow it spoils not just you, but it seems to spoil the people around you. It defiles many, says Hebrews 12. And so what we really need to do is take grasp of what the scriptures are saying to us about bitterness and we need to make sure we are walking free. Amen. So I'm going to try and stop by half past 12. I'll stop earlier because we're going to break bread and we're going to minister to each other as well. We're going to pray for each other. We're going to look after each other. We need to look after each other here. This is an insidious enemy that wants to spoil your life, wants to shrivel your heart. And we want that rock out. All right. We want that root that's just trying to worm its way in out. I don't know if you remember in the book of Galatians when Paul is talking about law and grace. He uses very strong language. I mean, he, he, much stronger language than the one I'm about to refer to. But he's talking about the, the son of the slave woman, by which he means the metaphor for law. And he says, get rid of it. Chuck it out. And it's the same with bitterness. So in Hebrews, it's a, in Ephesians chapter 4, it says... Get rid of bitterness. So we've got to be very proactive this morning. So if you're thinking about issues in your life at the moment or things that have happened to you or something bitter that you're working your way through, God is saying we've got to get rid of it. Okay? Amen? Okay, let's have a look at a few scriptures. I want to read you very quickly the story of the Emmaus Road. You've got bitterly disappointed disciples. It's the end of the road. Okay? So let's just read it together. Uh, now, same day, two of them going to the village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They're talking with each other about everything that's happened. As they're talking and discussing these things, Jesus himself comes up and walks along these dejected disciples. But they're kept from recognizing him. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stopped walking. 
often on a walk with someone and you suddenly stop because you want to say something really important. Somehow you can't keep walking, can you? I'm sorry, girls can multitask. Guys have to stop. And So if you've got something really important to say, you somehow just stop, don't you? What, what, what is that all about? I don't understand that. But anyway, I stopped still. Their faces downcast. It's all over. The dream is over. And one of them named Cleopas, and you can feel the cynicism in his voice. He says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, says the mysterious stranger. He's playing games with us. And about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. I'll make no comment at that point, but the women do. The women give them a perplexing, different version of the story. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. They came and told us he'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Well done, uh, Rosie. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. What a story from total defeat, bitter, bitter taste in your mouth. that the person that you have loved and longed for, I love the way you prayed, just in that silence just earlier sense of the presence of love for Jesus, you've lost him. It's all over. To get from that to burning hearts is where we want to go today. We want to get to burning hearts in all our disappointments, in all our bitterness of difficulty of life. Now, let me just tell you this. The Bible's got so much to say about bitterness. Uh, I'm just going to just quickly go through with Rosie's help. Just some of them. Let's take the first one. So this is um, Naomi in the book of Ruth. Uh, Let's take an imaginary girl's name. And I come up to you and say, oh, hello, I met you at Rev a couple of months ago. Your name's Olivia, isn't it? I don't know if there's anyone called Olivia here. I, did, I don't know if there's anyone called Olivia here, so I'm not picking on you, Olivia, if you're here. And Olivia says back to you, don't call me Olivia. Call me Mara. Call me Bitter. And I said, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, Olivia, what's happened? I've lost my husband. and I've lost my two sons. And I'm now coming back destitute to a place that's cynically called the house of bread, Bethlehem. I'm bitter. And what we read here, the Lord has afflicted me. Wow, the Bible's so honest, isn't it? It doesn't hide the stuff that's difficult to wrestle with. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought this fortune upon me. Little does she know what's going to happen next. But in her private grief of bereavement and bitterness, she's in a very dark place. Okay, Rosie, next one. Let's move on through. Uh, this is Hannah. This is touches raw nerves. In my pastoral time, I have dealt with the bitterness of people who've lost babies, people who can't have babies, 
children dying. It's a rough old world. You look at this story of Hannah, and the bit that I want just to show you here is verse 8. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, this is 1 Samuel, Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? The other wife had the babies. Hannah hasn't been able to have babies. And um, she is, in verse 10, deep anguish, praying to the Lord, weeping bitterly because her circumstances are so bitter. And, of course, we know the beautiful outcome of that. The, The child Samuel is born. Little did she know at the time what God would do. Okay, next one, Rosie. Um, this is <laughs> this is Job. I mean, uh, we're fans of that book. What a book! And I'll just just pick out. Look at chapter uh, verse five. Uh, sorry, not verse five. Let me just look down this um, verse three. So I've been allotted months of futility. So he's got terrible disease. He's lost all his family. He's lost all his livelihood, and here he is lamenting in in bitterness. Um, I'm not going to read all that, just to give you a flavor. Okay, Rosie, to the next uh, uh, Bible. Yeah, okay, this is still Job. Um, Sorry, this is Lamentations. Sorry, go back to Lamentations. Sorry, I'm just going quite fast here. He has filled me with bitter herbs. Now, this is Lamentations for a whole nation. So we're weeping over a whole nation now. So we're not just worrying about our own personal difficulties. This is Jeremiah looking at the exile. Look at what's happened because we turned away from God. Uh, He's besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He's given me bitter herbs and gall to drink. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Are you getting a flavor for this? I mean, this is a rock that is right in the middle of either a nation's path or an individual's path or a family's path or whatever. Rosie, next one. And this, of course, you recognize who we're talking about here? It's Peter. Have you ever let anyone down? Of course we have. Has anyone ever let you down? Of course they have. Betrayal, failure, personal grief at your own weakness is a very, very bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Very, very difficult because it's easy if someone's done something to you. When you know you've let someone else down, can you begin to forgive yourself? And the bitterness that comes from that or the bitter feeling, the taste of bitterness, it wants to take root in your heart. Is that you this morning? Because God's got wonderful news for you if that is. We're going to get rid of that. Okay, next one. Now, the New Testament's got so much to say. Feel the strength of the language. Get rid of it. All right, or to law, instead of grace, throw it out. But how can we do that if it's taken root? We need, there's got to be a mixture here of uh, all sorts of things to help us here. And I, I'll try and touch on that a little bit, a bit later, but I'll, I won't get into that now. Let's carry on. Rosie, one more. This is, again, this robust language of the New Testament. See to it that no one in Rev falls short of grace. That's going to get us home, as you were saying this morning in the worship. No bitter root, no bitter root. So it's ruthless language. We're being utterly scrupulously determined that no bitter root will ever try and invasively worm its way into our hearts. Are you on your guard? Are you getting a feel of this? So this is a big, big rock. And it's a horrible rock. And it's going to try to spoil you and shrivel your heart. We're not going to let it. Okay? Okay. So let's uh, think a little bit more about the Emmaus Road. Thanks, Rosie. (coughs) Two friends walking together. 
they are so downcast, obviously, because um, they've lost Jesus, the one that they love. But they go, interesting, they're going home. They haven't got anywhere else to go. It's all, the dream is over. Where do you go? You go home. Now, I might even be speaking to someone here about that. You just feel, I can't do this anymore. I need to go back to my old familiar place and go home. But the trouble is with these two guys, Cleopas and his mate, home is also a place that's going to feel like defeat and despair. They're going home, but it's not going to be a comfort because they can't find their way back to Jesus being alive. So they're discussing the end of the dream and realizing that they've lost him, but they haven't just lost him, they've lost themselves. That's quite an important point to make. So that's, again, a warning about bitterness. If, if something bitter has happened to you, what we don't want is that sense where it's really got hold of my heart because I'll lose myself. I'll be, I'll be submerged in that feeling. I'll, I'll be drowning, if you like, in it, and I'll eventually lose myself and all my familiar bearings. So we need to keep it somehow absolute arm's length and then be free of it completely. Um, I think if there's one word that can cause us pain, if there's one word that can be the reason why people become bitter, it's there's one word that summarizes the sorrows in life, and it's that little four-letter word called loss. And if you think back to the things that have happened in your life, it's probably the times when you felt the bitterness of life, you've lost something. Something hasn't come to you. So, and we look beyond into Camden streets and beyond into London. You, know, you think of all the people that you know, loss of love through separation, loss of innocence through abuse, loss of friendship through misunderstanding, loss of friendship through my, my own carelessness, loss of little ones through illness or accident or loss of life through disease violence random incidents i mean not far from where i live an extraordinary random incident took place on the a27 from eastbourne to brighton it's the shoreham air show do you remember what happened a few years ago there's a guy riding on his motorbike going to see his friends in portsmouth and a jet lands on the dual carriageway of the a27 and bursts into flames it was a, the Shoreham Air Show disaster. Do you remember that? From, it was about three years ago. What a random incident was that? Do you remember that helicopter that landed on the roof of a Glasgow pub and smashed through? It, there was two crashes. If you were in there, it was Hog, I think it was Hogmanay, was it? People were drinking, having fun. Suddenly a helicopter comes through the roof. <laughs> what? <laughs> when we start out in life, we don't start bitter. We start idealistically. My favorite, I used to be a teacher a thousand years ago. My favorite age range was 16 to 19. Do you want to know why? Because that's the most idealistic age range. They're a beautiful bunch to teach. 16 to 19, to infinity and beyond. All right? You are, you're just full of, as Coldplay would say, a head full of dreams. All right? It, you just, you just, you are not bitter about anything. You just got everything's ahead of you, unless you've had a really difficult upbringing. And I, you know what I'm saying, don't you? But basically, that's the time for idealism. And, but as the rocks come into your life, as the difficulties come, what happens? You start to get anxious. You start to feel that creeping sense of fear. Well, why am I so fearful? I never used to be like this. Why, what am I so worried about? And you start to 
lose that idealistic, I'm going to change the world dream for I need material comforts for my security. <laughs> and you know you're slipping, you're, you're selling out to yourself, aren't you? I don't want to do that, but I, it's too dangerous out there. I, I, that's going to make me so bitter. I'm just going to, I'm going to pull up the drawbridge. I'm going to live in a material comfort. I'm going to harden my heart. Watch it because your heart's becoming a heart of stone. And the root is going to be blinking hard to pull out when Jesus meets with you to do that. And so in the middle of this walk back to Emmaus, these, this lonely walk home, a man comes alongside these two guys who are friends. They don't recognize him. And he's a stranger. And he seems to be a stranger who likes asking questions. He is asking questions of you this morning. He's probing your heart, even as I'm speaking, saying, how come you've allowed this to happen? Colin, you know I'm walking alongside you. You're not listening to my, the sweetness of my voice. This conversation is shouted, well, not shouted back, but slapped back at the stranger. We had hoped. Now, notice you linguists, that's the pluperfect tense, which means it's not the perfect tense. It's further back in the past. So it's not we've hoped. We had hoped. You're going back, back, back. It's disappearing into the dark. We'd hoped. I wonder what it is you would say when you look back over the things that have been difficult to negotiate. I had hoped for that. And I wonder if the next step is, and I feel still quite bitter about that. We had hoped, they said. And the stranger seems to be quite happy just to listen to them. And I think about my, my own story. You think about your story. Often our story is beset by perplexity. So Cleopas and his friend are struggling with the Good Friday's terrible events. But here's another thing they're struggling. They're struggling with some wacky news as well. Some women have been talking about an empty tomb. So hang on. So isn't this typical of life? In the middle of all your distress and so on, someone tells you some really good stuff. and You think, I wish I could put these things together. I wish I could find a coherent message that would, I could walk through. And, and that's often the case. Not always, always bad news. Sometimes someone brings a little bit of manna to your soul, a little bit of fresh water in the desert. And you think, thank you, but it doesn't really do me any good because I'm still feeling stuffed by the bad news. Are you with me? So Cleopas is thinking, women, don't tell me about some empty tomb. I can't, we can't cope with that. We, it's perplexing. Don't, no, don't, please don't make my hopes get raised up. Does this sound familiar to you? It happens, doesn't it? It's not always total darkness. It's a battle for the heart. There's a battle going on for your heart this morning. And it's confusing. And we need to walk through this with the scriptures guiding us and the Holy Spirit in our heart. We need the grace of God. See that no one misses the grace of God. And that's what we're getting to. So interestingly... The stranger has had enough of listening to them and he starts speaking. And now it's their turn to listen to him. There's going to come a term when, time when we really need to stop talking about the bitterness and the difficulties. And we need to start listening. And we need to find a very quiet place and we need to open our heart up. I love the silence this morning. Isn't it great? In all the, um, the joys of a free gathering like this we can do what we like and if we want to go quiet we'll go quiet because we need what's my heart saying to me what are you saying to my heart he's pretty direct and this is what he does 
he tells them stories from their past. So he goes back into Israel's history. He tells them how Israel was delivered. He reminds them about everything that God did before. He reminds them that the Messiah has to suffer before he goes into his glory. He tells them something huge. He lifts them out of their tiny story. Well, it didn't feel tiny to Cleopas. He takes them out of their small story and lifts them into this huge story. The big, big story, far greater than their current predicament. You with me? He's clever like that. And that's what he wants to do with you today. It's what philosophers would call the meta-narrative. You think your story is in your face. You can't see the wood for the trees. How wrong you are. How wrong Cleopas was. How wrong I am when I feel that my world is shrinking around me because of the bitter experience of the things I go through. He's telling them, the stranger is telling these two friends, that all that they've experienced so far, even the loss of their beloved saviour, that's not defeat. It might feel like it now, but you are not to give in to despair. Your lives are not small and insignificant. Actually, you are woven into this beautiful big story. And that's what I want to say to you today. All that you're going through, your lives are still being woven into this beautiful story. And God will make it become the most glorious tapestry of just glory. He was talking about glory today. Glory, glory. And interestingly, he, I mean, he... <laughs> The words that Jesus uses are very confrontational. They're not exactly saccharine. You know, how foolish you are. Hey, I'm feeling this is the end of my world. The last thing you want when you're feeling this is it, I'm at rock bottom, is for some to say you're being foolish. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot, Jesus. This is pastoral ministry, room 101. But actually, all the disciples can see is irretrievable loss. What they're forgetting is what they'd seen and heard with Jesus over three years. So in these three days, they've forgotten three years. Do you see where we're heading now? So they're not trusting their experience. And if you're giving in to the bitter sense of defeat, you're not trusting your experience. Has he really ever let you down? You're not trusting your experience. Jesus' words and works must have been reverberating around their heads. I mean, only a week or so bef before this, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. What an effect that must have been. Palm branches, the glory of Jerusalem in uproar. The king's coming, humble and on a donkey. How could they have forgotten everything they saw? But in those three days of desperation, they've lost the lot. And Jesus is effectively saying to them that God's faithfulness and his sovereign plan in their lives is so much bigger than the grief of their current situation. Do you believe that for yourself? That even you may be going through the most bitter difficulties, he's still in control. And so we are not to be slow to believe the big picture. So all things really are working together for good. Can I believe that, Lord, when you confront me with your robust you, how slow you are to believe. He says to me, don't treat me, be kind to me. I've had a bad day. <laughs> okay, do you, know the, um, do you know the painting by 
Who are, who are the arty, crafty people? You, got, you must have loads of arty, crafty people here. Okay, point, pointillism is a post-impressionist technique. You know Van Gogh, um, he's a bit post-impression, but uh, Monet is impressionist. But post-impressionism takes that impressionist painting to the next level. There's a famous painter called Georges Seurat. I'm just showing off now, okay? So, and he, <laughs> he painted a huge painting, which was three metres by two metres, and it's called Picnic at la Grande Jatte. So it's near the River Seine. There are people walking with umbrellas, people sitting on the grass, and people eating picnics, and there's the River Seine going by. And it's in a Chicago art gallery. And uh, you, you walk, it's a huge painting. You think, man, what a beautiful, clever, uh, amazing painting. You walk up close to it, and you are shocked. Does anyone know what I'm about to say? Pointillism gives you a clue. It is a series of hundreds of thousands of tiny dots and tiny, tiny brush strokes. And when you look up close, it means nothing to you because all you see is little dots. You have to walk back, and then you suddenly see this beautiful picture of Picnic on the River Seine. Now, there's something of that in what we're saying here today. You've got to step back from those dots, and you've got to see what God is up to. You have to invite him in like Cleopas and his friend did. He, he's... He's a gentleman. I know that's a trite phrase and you've heard that before, but he meant to go on further, we read in that story. That's the last thing they wanted him to do. Their hearts were burning. And they had to say, no, no, Jesus, stop. Come in and be with us. Step one. No, 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 don't walk on. Don't leave me like this. Come into my house. And I've written this down. This uh, This is what I'd want to say to Jesus when I'm experiencing bitter feelings. I trust you. I entrust all of me to you, my hopes, my dreams, my hurts, my losses. No secrets hidden from you. You've got my backstory. I don't want you to be an unrecognisable stranger to me. I want you to be my closest friend. As I walk this road, I want to give you all my innermost thoughts. I want to give you all my hurts. My deepest desire is to love you and be loved by you. I've got no room for bitterness, Lord. I want my heart to burn again. I want to live in the bigger story of my life, not in that story that the devil is trying to squeeze me into and shrivel me up and kill me. So as Jesus is invited into the intimacy of a meal in your home, as he shares bread with you, you're going to recognize him. You're going to see him as the beautiful savior that he really is. As one commentator put it, they said this, it started out as two friends and one stranger on the road. And in the intimacy of the breaking of bread, it becomes no longer two friends and one stranger, but three friends together. Isn't that beautiful? The power of that. So I'm nearly finished. Life sometimes seems to make no sense. It can leave you tear-stained, bitter. But if this Emmaus Road story is anything to go by, it reminds us that Jesus is wanted to say this to us. So that was my thoughts to him. Here's what I feel he wants to say to me and you. He's saying this again. Trust me, walk with me, 
love me. Put your hand in my hand. Stop trying to understand everything. Stop trying to be in control of everything. Stop trying to tie up all these loose ends. Stop trying to have perfect peace, wealth, health and happiness. Stop that. Stop striving for those things now. You don't know whether you're going to get three score years and ten. So stop striving. From the day you were born, says Jesus to me and to you, lay up. Sorry, from the day you were born again, lay up treasure in heaven. That's where I want your heart. Everything that you have in this world, you hold with open hands. That's a very difficult lesson to learn. Very difficult lesson. Hold it with open hands and love me more than anyone or anything else. Of course, love other people. But love me and you'll be as safe as houses. As you know that I'm number one. Invite me into your home and let me take the bitterness and the regret and the disillusion away. So it really means that I've come to understand life as a gift. It's not an entitlement. If you think of life as an entitlement, you're going to get bitterly disappointed. This is a gift from start to finish. Did you start your lungs working when you were naught years old? Your first cry? Did you say, I'll just take a little bit of that oxygen, thank you very much, I'm in control of that, and I'll smack my own bottom and I'll start to, start to shout and cry, I'm in the world. I made myself, here I am. Rubbish. You're totally dependent. The next breath that you breathe, you're totally dependent. dependent. But I just want to say this to you again, your losses are not the full story. Do you believe that? God's going to weave the master plan. He is the author and the perfecter. Let this bitterness start to melt away. Now, this is just a sermon, and there are many hearts here that are bruised, and it's not, this is not the place for a deep prayer. But I hope this is helping, that the door needs to open to invite Jesus in. You know, we think we're building our lives, but there's not much that we can control. Come on, what can you control, really? You know, you know I just... Yeah. I mean, driving up to London, um, the M23 is an message. Anyone know? That? Oh, no, the M23. I mean, I couldn't control the M23's opening I, as much as I could control the day of my death. Uh, just don't just stop doing that, because if you keep trying to control, you're going to get bitter and disillusioned. Have I made my point? God is not enclosed in time. We are. So he sees the big picture. Hey, I'm going to trust him. Um, I'm going to end on a story that has impacted me powerfully. And then I think I'm just going to pray and then we're going to come to ministry, if that's OK. OK. Um, I don't know if you know the story of a, a, a real life woman, an amazing woman called Florence Chadwick. Have you heard that name? She was an open water, open sea swimmer. And um, she was born in the uh, 30s and she was in the peak of her powers in the 1950s. And so she, she came to Dover and she swam the channel to Calais and back without stopping. She was a seriously uh, fit open water swimmer. And uh, she decided one day she was going to swim the dangerous section of, off in the Pacific Ocean. Off, do you know the Catalina Island, which is just off the coast of California near San Diego? And it's shark infested water. And uh, this amazing woman, Florence Chadwick, said, I'm going to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland because <clears throat> no one's done it. So she gets a little flotilla of boats around her and she's t- 
done plenty of training. She's super fit. And, uh, and the day comes for her to swim. So she sets out. But unfortunately, it's a very foggy day. And it's very cold. The sun's not shining. So she gets into the water. Her mother is in the boat closest to her. It's all absolutely true. You look it up on Wikipedia, <laughs> which must be true. <laughs> did I really say that? I did, didn't I? That's probably completely robbed you of the power of this story now, hasn't it? Okay, I'll press through. Anyway, so I also, I, it's, 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 a, it's a totally authentic story. So anyway, she's, uh, she's swimming. And uh, she's swimming uh, and very fit. But actually, the water is very, very cold. And the fog has come down and uh, she swims for 15 hours and she becomes very, very cold indeed. And she becomes exhausted. And she says to her mother in the boat just just a few yards away, Mum, I can't go on any longer. I'm absolutely exhausted. And the mother says this to her. She says, Florence, if you knew how close you were to the shore, you could keep swimming and so with renewed determination, the fog's down. She can't see anything. The boats are keeping the sharks away. The water is perishingly cold. She carries on swimming. And then she swims on for a little longer. And then she becomes utterly exhausted emotionally and physically. And so she stops swimming. And they have to pull her into the nearest boat. And then they come back to the mainland. And the fog lifts. And she sees how close she was to the shore. She was only half a mile from the shore. And at the press conference the next day, they asked her the question, what, what, you know, what did it feel like to be that close to finishing your journey? And she said, um, if only I'd seen the shore, I think I could have made it. And Jesus stands on the shore with some other dejected disciples and says, come on, guys, come and have breakfast. Jesus is our destination. And if the fog is down and there's bitterness in your heart and you just can't cope, what do you do? You receive the grace of God that is able to pull out all bitterness. Your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit's love for you. And somehow your heart of stone is melted into the heart of flesh. It's about baptism in the spirit as well. That's another story. So how far are you from the shore? Has the fog come down? Keep swimming. Keep looking to him. And this is perhaps a time where we do need to help each other because, you know, one talk for half an hour ain't going to easily lift something which you've struggled with. But do you see what I'm saying? Let's keep swimming. Let's keep going eyes on Jesus we're going to make it. By his grace, we're going to make it. Amen? Okay. Um, Steph and um, Alice and everybody, should we just stand together? Uh, let's just uh, spend a little bit of time. We've got a bit of time left, haven't we, for worship and uh, breaking of bread. Perhaps I'll just pray and hand over to Steph and Alice with songs as well. Can I just pray for you? You're a wonderful bunch. Um, you, look, you look like... Gateway Church in Dubai. You looked like Grace City Church in Sydney. You looked, you looked like believers all around the world. Uh, you are an exciting and thrilling bunch of people. And God has beautiful stories for you, but he doesn't want you in any other story but the big story. Okay, so Lord, we just give you our present circumstances. And Lord, if there's bitterness in my heart, I want you to get rid of it. I don't want it. I hate it. It's the, it's the, you know, it's like that, you know, 
not forgiving someone else and drinking poison and hoping it works on somebody else. You know what I'm talking about. You know, that sense of unforgiveness, bitterness, cynicism. Lord, we don't want any of that. We want to be uh, unable to be offended even. We, we want to be totally free people. We want to be free as we walk through life. Yes, things are going to hurt us in the future. Things are going to offend us, but they're, they're, we're, going to, uh, we're going to wear a Holy Spirit hazmat suit. <laughs> Hazardous materials are coming our way. Toxic spills, but we are safe in the tower that is Jesus. Lord, we've got our hazmat suits on. It's called the Holy Spirit's love in our heart. You can't touch me. I'm safe in you. Lord, lay that on this beautiful church this morning. Lay it on them, Lord. Get them into their hazmat Holy Spirit suits. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, as we worship you. Help us to surrender deep hurt. Help us to get rid of nursing any grievances. Get rid of them. Get rid of them, says the Bible. Help me. Help me, God. Help me as I struggle and ask you to get rid of this rock that's spoiling the beautiful view of you. In the name of Jesus, our beautiful Savior. Amen.